when I looked at this movie, you know, um, I was thinking it doesn't even come close to our fear. The moment that you have to leave the compound, you know, I cannot describe it. I was so scared. Uh, you are actually no longer alive. You know, your soul has left your body. That's how I felt. I was paralyzed with fear. Justice plays an important role. I consider this tribunal a false tribunal and indictments false indictments. Such abhorrent crimes must not go unpunished. Proceedings will be long and complex. All rise. Hi, welcome to Asymmetrical Haircuts. I'm Stephanie van den Berg. And I'm Janet Anderson. And for this episode, we're returning to Srebrenica, uh, the Srebrenica massacre. It's the atrocity that's the most extensively dealt with by international justice and domestic courts in Bosnia and also the Netherlands. And now it's also the subject of a highly acclaimed movie, Quo Vadis Aida, by Bosnian director Jasmilas Banitz. And I'm the person who doesn't speak BCS in this podcast, and yet I'm the one who gets to say her name to start with. The movie has won a slew of prizes and is in the running for an Oscar, and it's gotten considerable buzz. Uh, here for a taste is the trailer. Stop leaving the base in an orderly fashion. What is the point of having an ultimatum if you don't deliver? Colonel Karamans. They are killing people outside. What difference does it make whether the Serbs kill us or you do? Such a film helps to define the image that we have of a mass atrocity like the Srebrenica massacre, and it shows people what actually happened. But such a popular film also risks narrowing the view and cementing a particular narrative. To talk about this, we invited two people who were actually there. Uh, we have Alma Mustafić and Emir Soljagic, who were at the UN base in Potocari when refugees flocked to the Dutch peacekeepers in hopes of protection. They now have both dedicated their time to educating people about what happened in Srebrenica. Hi, Emir. Hi, Alma. Hello. Hi. I will start with you, Alma. Do you want to introduce yourself, say a bit briefly about how you came to be at the compound and what made you uh, turn to telling people about uh, what happened? Yes. Uh, well, in 1995, I survived Srebrenica, but my brother, uh, my uh, father, who worked for Dutch Bed and many other family members, uh, didn't survive. So when Srebrenica fell, my father took us to his work, to the compound in Potocari, because he was sure that we will be protected there. We spent two days in uh, this compound, and on July 13, we were forced to leave this safe area. And even my father, uh, who was working for Dutch Bad, and he has right to stay at the compound, you know, he was sent away. So after Srebrenica, my mother, my brother, baby sister and I, uh, we are moving to the Netherlands. And we hold the Dutch state responsible for the death of my father. And Supreme Court ruled uh, in our favor. That was back in 2013. Uh, the Dutch state was 100% responsible for the death of my father, you know. And nowadays I work as educational expert, lecturer and researcher at the Utrecht University of Applied Scientists. And I try to increase knowledge, you know, and, and awareness about genocide 
to ensure that something like this never happened again. I tried to challenge the Dutch educational institutions, schools, to include Srebrenica in their educational program. Alma, thanks so much for sharing all of the details. And we'll go into uh, some more specifics of the things that you've just spoken about. But uh, already you've just brought us straight in to the whole story of Srebrenica. Um, we also have Emir Suljajic. Again, apologies if I'm saying your name slightly incorrectly or very incorrectly, who's the director of the Srebrenica Memorial Centre and a professor at the International University of Sarajevo. Hi, Emir, again. Emir was an interpreter for the UN in Srebrenica at the time of the massacre, like the protagonist of Kova de Saida, and survived because of his UN employee status. He later became a journalist and ended up reporting on the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, where we met in the early 2000s. He wrote about his experience in a very uh, moving book called Postcards from the Grave, and he had a stint in Bosnian politics as a regional minister for education, but returned to academics and now heads up the memorial center set up at the former Dutch Bad base. What was it like, Amir, for you to see kind of the film version of you, not so much uh, uh, Aida is the inter interpreter, you were the other interpreter, you were joking on Twitter that, you know, you'll be remembered for smoking and uh, and, and uh, kissing uh, uh, the girls in, in the movie, because that's what the other interpreter seems to be doing. Well, I mean, there's really nothing wrong with being remembered uh, like that. I, I don't mind that, at the very least. Um, actually, a lot of Friends of mine were, were calling after seeing the movie and saying, okay, so this is what you did. You told everyone's going to be dead killed. You you smoked pot and you made love to a woman. Um, all right. So that's, this is you, right? This is, this, it actually happened. And I was like, come on guys, you know, don't, don't do that to me. Now, um, well, if we're talking about the movie, let's just say what the movie is not, not about. The movie is not about the entirety of what happened in Serenso. It's a movie about a, a subplot within the plot that was the, 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 within the drama that was taking place in Patuchari between July 11th and July 13th. It's uh, geographically limited to the space, to the area, to, to the area of the UN, uh, UN uh, base, to Dutchbad base here in Patuchari. Um, it's temporarily limited to only three days. Um, and it's limited to a few, relatively few number of actors. There were there were a lot more actors here. The, the, the picture is a lot bigger. Um, but I guess, you know, telling this story in its entirety is, is a much more complex and, if you will, much more expensive undertaking than than focusing on this tiny, tiny little bit uh, within within the story. And because it relatively speaking is comparatively small, um, Within within the larger picture of what was going on in Srebrenica, the the, the 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 film leaves out the death march, the mass executions that were the result of death march. Uh, there was a single there was only uh, out of a series of mass executions, only one, as far as I know, was the result of what was going on in Potocari. The the men who were selected. Uh, in Potocari were actually killed um, on, on, on morning of July 15th after staying uh, staying overnight in in in, Pot in Vratunac on uh, between July 13th and July 14th. So um, now it doesn't once again uh, uh, the movie doesn't 
pretend or purport to be telling the whole story. And that's good about it. It's it's honest. It's it's you know saying, okay, this is what happened here. This is one tiny little bit of it. Um, it doesn't happen to be saying any. It doesn't want to be saying any ideological narratives. It's it's not telling. You know, it's not ideological at all. Um, it's um, I mean, having been in the middle of it, you know, it's 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 adapted to what ah, an ordinary person who has got nothing to do with that can actually put up with. Alma, what about you? Um, how did it feel for you? Was it strange to see these kinds of images? I mean, what I imagine is that it might feel like it's become somebody else's story that it's become kind of a show business spectacle or, or did it feel did it feel right to you um it felt okay when i looked at this movie you know um i was thinking it doesn't even come close to our fear the moment that you have to leave the compound you know i cannot describe it i was so scared uh, you are actually no longer alive, you know, your soul has left your body. That's how I felt. I was paralyzed with fear. Uh, so I think it's difficult to even come close to how we felt right uh, right then. But let me say this, as educational expert, I think those films are extremely important for raising awareness about this genocide among a general large public. So, and this is nothing new. We have seen this with films about Holocaust, you know. Uh, they had a great impact among large public. So it's essential that there is a movie about Srebrenica from perspective of victims. And this is the first one. But I think we need more of those movies, you know, because just like Emir uh, said, uh, uh, this is eliminated to two, three days. And we have to tell all of our stories and of course experience that Emir had or for example I had are different. I was 14 years uh, old girl. He was a young man. I had different fears. I was extremely afraid of being raped just like any woman you know and of course uh, I was also afraid that my father and my brother would be killed but I knew I knew if I was killed I would be raped first. So somehow I was jealous of my brother, you know, at that time, which sounds crazy, but I was jealous of him being boy while I was a girl. And when I heard that there was a film, you know, coming from a woman's perspective, I did expect that more attention would be paid to rape. Many women still don't talk about it. They think it shouldn't be about them. Uh, because they managed to survive somehow, uh, but our men didn't. They were killed and we should talk about them, about men's fate. And I think when we talk about genocide in general, we should talk about fate of group of people, you know, as a nation, fate of men, fate of women and children, because genocide is about intention to destroy a group as whole, men, women and children. And I understand that he cannot put everything in one single movie. So <laughs> that's why we need more of those uh, uh, movies to be made from the perspective of victims and 
um, maybe next movie should be made from the uh, child perspective, you know, just like um, uh, the boy in striped pajamas. And mm. now uh, we know that this movie had a huge impact on Holocaust education and uh, awareness in, uh, let's say, popular uh, younger population, just because it was made from child perspective. When I saw the movie, what struck me is how close it was kind of choreographed to look also like the videos I've seen in court uh, of the compound. But what the movie did that the court videos didn't is that it put me in the middle of the mass of people. The movie really did show that complete, um, you know, what the hell is going to happen here? And that fear was very palpable. And I thought that was translated very well. Com complete with that, you don't really have an idea what to do. So in a way, uh, it deepened a bit my understanding of it as well. How important is Yasmila's Banich in this? I, we have a quote from her where she explains, uh, she didn't record it in Potocari uh, herself, but she recorded it in Mostar. And she's talking a bit about how uh, getting extras from Bosnia also really helped the way she tells the story. In, in the film, it was um, what I learned um, while making the film. There were many extras who did survive concentration camps and who, they, they, they did survive torture. Uh, like there was one um, scene where I was telling um, actors to, um, extras, please go to this uh, truck and, uh, you know, do like this. And there was one man who said, it's not what they did to us. It's not the way they did to us. And I was like, what? And he said, you know, I was in, in concentration camp and I know when they are transporting us, how they did it. So I said, okay, we will listen to him, how he explains what we should do. We will do it. Emir, do you think this movie could be made the way it would be by some international director I, I think this is a lot more to do with the, the, the way the movie is. There's a lot more to do with the person of, of, of Jasmin Lajmanic and the fact that she's a, a Bosnian coming from this very specific cultural context. It's a very, you know, I, I, I my experience of the movie was uh, that of, of intimacy. Uh, it's, it's a very intimate film, uh, very, very close. There's, it's, um, there's a, a warmth to it that's, really um i think that that, that, that the warmth um uh, of this movie is, is really what, what what makes it shocking you know that, that she chose to tell the story in this particular way and that that her warmth and her and, and this intimacy in her approach contrasted to or con in contrast to what we know is the outcome and what we see at the end is the outcome is what makes the movie very shocking um you know, because we get to know pretty much everybody there you know and we get to know them as they wanted us to know we get to see for instance Ratko Mladic as he actually wanted to see himself back in in 1995 we get to see the un as they wanted to see as they saw themselves back in 1995 so and we see our we see we see the victims um as they also saw themselves back in 1995 which is helpless defenseless um on a personal level as 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 alma put it you, I, you were, you're dead already. Um, you know, when people ask me, I left here on July 21st, uh, so I, I stayed on for another week, and um, 
I sometimes joke, although it's not very much of a joke, with friends that, you know, when they ask me what my experience was, I, I, I sometimes retort that, well, I was dead for 10 days. Um, and I, you know, my, my actually, the thing is, my uh, uh, there were actual reports that I was dead. My mom was informed that I was dead. Um, I met a UN investigator in 2002 who told me, I met him in The Hague, uh, and he told me, what are you doing here? I have actual statements of people saying that you were taken behind the building and shot. Uh, and that was like, okay, hold on. So th th that was the actual experience. Uh, uh, and, and I can, you know, the, the movie that Alma and I would like to see is never going to be made. We, we, we are never going to get a chance to reenact that part of our lives. Uh, and I, I and I know that's what we all want. What we want to do is we want an opportunity to reenact that part of our lives and change the outcome. That's what we want. That's never going to happen. Um, this is, um, this, you know, this film is a tribute to what we had survived. But as every tribute, it every tribute, you know, eventually down the road pales in comparison to the actual actual experience. And we shouldn't put that burden on, the, on, on a single film we shouldn't put that burden on a single um person to to make up make it up to us it cannot be done alma you wanted to react well i think um, i couldn't agree more um, with emir you know but uh, i think we could try to tell all of our stories and there there are some small steps you know um for example i'm involved in a theater play right now called Dangerous Names. And uh, in the Netherlands, we had like eight plays about Srebrenica, and all of them were from a Dutch perspective, but none from the perspective of victims. And Dangerous Names is the first play in the Netherlands from the perspective of victims. And uh, I'm one of the players, which is odd. And another one is a former Dutch soldier. And together with other three uh, professionals, actors, uh, we tell uh, the story of Srebrenica. It's from my perspective, it's about my story, you know, and the story of this Dutch vet soldier is only uh, support my story, how it should be, let's say. And in the beginning, no one wanted, you know, to see this. I remember uh, theater saying, uh, no, thank you. We already have uh, one play on Srebrenica. It's a play about Karamans. And we try to explain, but uh, you don't have one from perspective of victims. Um, no one play on Srebrenica topic was enough. So we, we had a few tryouts before uh, everything went down, you know, and National Theatre newspaper was there. And after watching this play, they gave us choice of critic, which can be compared to five stars. And then another uh, theater started to call us, like suddenly everybody wanted to put our uh, play uh, in their program. So this is some proof that people do want to see all of our stories, you know, uh, from perspective of victims. We should just go on and try to, to make all those stories. Uh, so I learned from this film next thing. Uh, when I made an agreement with this theater producer, I was very keen on truth. Sometimes we had uh, discussions for uh, 45 minutes about one single sentence. We have been working two years on this script because everything had to be uh, as much uh, truthful and authentic as possible. That was very important to me. 
What do you think, uh, Alma? Do you think that these kind of artistic representations actually help to define what uh, what truth is and to combat denialism? Or do people can people actually use them and say, oh, come on, you know, it's all just uh, make believe if if you're just showing it in theatre and films? Well, one way or another, it does help, you know, to raise awareness on this genocide. But um... When we talk about denial, you know, there are many forms of denial and it's very hard to combat them all. In addiction to real deniers, like a lot of people in in, uh, in the region, they just say it didn't happen. But there are some people who just try to downplay Srebrenica genocide, you know, by calling it a different name, like mass killings or massacre. Uh, they try to avoid war genocide, but that's also denial and using a different name or term won't make less evil, I think. So this is why uh, this movie is important. Some of the people are unaware of their downplaying, like Dutch people, for example. Focusing only on Dutch when we talk about Srebrenica is also downplaying Srebrenica genocide. So this Dutch attitude of Srebrenica genocide is very problematic. They always put Dutch at the center, you know, the narrative of Srebrenica. And in doing so, they help to minimize those human skulls of the genocide in Srebrenica, like Emmer put it, and to limit, to limit our story to the minimums of the European uh, history. Uh, so this can also be seen as a form of genocide denial. And when we have this movie, you know, and the larger public can see it, I hope they start asking themselves, okay, is this way that I look at Srebrenica, is this, is this okay? Or do I have to do some more research on this topic? I want, when I uh, watched somebody put on Facebook this interview with the main uh, actor who plays uh, Mladic, and he was actually explaining that he wanted to keep as close to the videos as possible and as close to the dialogue as possible uh, exactly to combat that denialism because he wanted when people saw the movie that they wouldn't be able to say oh this is different so the whole movie is is not true but he wanted to stay as close to Mladic as possible and um, I don't have that clip because he spoke in Serbian uh, but I do have also Yasmila talking about why they were so precise with Mladic. It was not easy because Mladic is considered hero in Serbia where Boris lives and uh, you know he's he is a war criminal for the rest of the world so we were very uh, careful how to how to show him uh, first, we decided to keep most of his lines like he, um, he he told them. You know, we changed only few, but Boris also insisted on uh, being precise in order of the lines because we thought this guy is saying something which we can't write, which we can't imagine. It's so packed with his character, every word he's using, that we should keep this. And the key for me to unlock this character was a fact that he was always with camera person. He was always directing. He says, uh, go to other side, film them, not me, uh, you know, film this flag. He, he was um, a, the worst director that one can imagine, who <laughs> has no power on, you know, creating um, uh, 
beauty, but creating death. He had feeling of himself as a god. He was actor and director at the same time of this horror. Emir, the Memorial Center uh, has to deal with a lot of denial. I mean, you're based in Potocari. Srebrenica is now uh, run by the Republika Srpska, who don't acknowledge the genocide. Um, you know, does this movie, in a way, help you uh, with the denial, or have you gotten more of a backlash? Uh, of denial based on the movie because I don't know Serbs are angry that it's gotten all this Oscar buzz. Well, let, let me let me sort of try and answer your question in, in two parts. Um, Memorial Center is a unique institution in the sense that it is run by survivors or first generation or second generation survivors or people who uh, have have lost someone here so, but literally all of us here are actually really scarred people scarred individuals um by so by the events in Srebrenica themselves so uh, and we are doing it in an environment that's openly hostile towards us um imagine once again it's a very crude analogy but imagine a group of uh jewish survivors going back to a nazi occupied uh, part of Poland where Auschwitz was and trying to run, a, you know, once, once again, it's a very crude analogy and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, but that's, that's, so, uh, genocide denial is constant. And, uh, in, in that regard, um, you know, the political geography has changed also to accommodate genocide denial, to accommodate that, the, the notion that this is Serb ter- territory, that, uh, you know, we have come back to a completely changed political geography that actually uh, is um, produced with the intent of, of producing a, a different kind of territory here, a different kind of, um, you know, to, 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 to send us a message that this is someone else's land. That we are alien here. So this is the environment where this is, you know, where the Severance Memorial Center is actually working, and this is where, you know, where it's all happening. And in that regard, movie is only uh, doing has only done good for us. The, the movie's been good to us because um, it has risen awareness of Severance to um, to it has brought Severance to the corners that have ignored it, either willingly or unwillingly. Um, it has. Um, once again, reason awareness about what happened here, uh, about you know, the word Srebrenica now is is has been spoken um, over the past few months more than ever um, in the previous 25 years. So um, I'm not concerned. At the same time, I'm really not concerned with the the, the sort of nationalist uh, uh, pushback on the on the on the movie. Once again, this is. Uh, part and parcel of that narrative you know this this the, the pushback the denial is 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 the integral part of the the, the the Serb narrative of what happened here so yeah the movie's been good to us I, I have to be honest and and, and you know and, uh, and we should thank Yasmila for for reaching out for you know creating something that has reached that has managed to reach out to so many people and Alma, you're based in the Netherlands, um, which you've mentioned, and you've mentioned the way that the Dutch focus in the discussion on Srebrenica has a lot of different layers going on. Um, There's the kind of the shame, the backlash, and you're trying to educate people. 
But you were also involved in this 12-year legal battle with the Dutch government. And do you think that this movie can actually contribute in any way to to real justice issues and to accountability issues? Of course. Uh, my answer would be, of course. Let me start with the first one. Um, I think Dutch people need this film more than we do. Because when we talk about Srebrenica in the Netherlands, we always talk about uh, one moment, uh, one place, and one perspective. You know, it's just July 11th, city of Srebrenica, and it's always from Dutch perspective. And this is very dangerous in long term, in my opinion. And it doesn't uh, support us battling this denial, you know. Um, and this way we forget the main thing, genocide. How can genocide happen? You know, and genocide doesn't happen in one day or even even in one week, just like people in the Netherlands think, or in just uh, one single uh, city. With this narrative uh, of Srebrenica, we are not going to learn anything from this genocide, you know. Uh, to understand genocide, we need to learn something from it. We need uh, uh, other perspectives. Uh, like we said, we need the stories of uh, uh, survivors. But we also need to learn about preparators' motives. Why did they do what they did? And these are the things that we never learn in the Netherlands. So I hope uh, Dutch people watching this movie uh, will try to answer those questions uh, as well. For example, uh, last year we had lots of uh, attention for Srebrenica commemoration here in the Netherlands. But then again, it was mainly uh, about Dutch vet uh, soldiers. We have more than 60,000 Bosnians in the Netherlands. We hardly ever see them on television, you know. And I think that's the wrong focus. When we talk about Srebrenica, we should tell those stories, you know, stories of survivors. And uh, uh, but, but when people talk about Srebrenica here in the Netherlands, they always talk about civil war, you know, like uh, civil war and genocide are two different things. Uh, genocide never appears to their minds. <laughs> so, um, and and. Even that this was a planned genocide, like recently uh, Emir did uh, show us a genocide transcript, this research program. I think it proves that uh, Srebrenica was planned genocide. Um, but in the Netherlands, they always invite some military guy, you know, to talk about military mission in Bosnia, about war, about two sides. They never invite a professor of genocide, you know, to tell us about Srebrenica and genocide in Bosnia. And that narrative needs to change. People are not aware of the fact that last genocide in Europe was in Bosnia 25 years ago. Ask a random, you know, Dutch guy, when was the last genocide in Europe? And everybody will say 75 years ago. So this, the, this is the danger of this one-sided perspective. Uh, and don't get me wrong. Uh, it's not like that those uh, Dutch bed stories are not important, but that story is about 5% of the whole story, you know, and should be supportive to the story of genocide survivors. 95% should be about genocide itself, but here in the Netherlands it's other way around. Srebrenica is in the Dutch canon of history. And I looked up the paragraph about uh, Srebrenica uh, and there's two paras about peace missions 
And there's two paras about the actual genocide, which again starts by stressing that Dutch Bat was, quote, lightly armed and had few ways to keep the peace in the enclave. And the responsibility paragraph stresses the NEOT report, which found that Dutch Bat was on a mission impossible. And it finally ends by, and it says, it has a sentence saying families are still fighting in Dutch courts. Uh, about government responsibility and it ends with Srebrenica is still an open wound. So that's that's the thing that is now in the Dutch canon. You know, this is the thing that you get when you let military officers write history about Holocaust. You know, Mark van Berkel, uh, he's a Dutch PhD, he holds the PhD degrees on topic Holocaust in history books. He did similar research on Srebrenica uh, education in history book, in uh, Dutch education. And his conclusion was devastating. He knows where he's talking about because he understands genocides, you know. Uh, three main uh, conclusions were, uh, first, there is hardly any learning about Srebrenica. Sometimes just two or three sentences in one whole book. Two, if there is any learning, then it's not complete or it's not correct. In fact, fake news. And three, it's from one side, only from Dutch perspective, which means that the word genocide often does not even appear. So we have here in the Netherlands following problem. On the one hand, we have research that proves that education about Srebrenica is failing and on the other hand, Srebrenica is included in the canon of Dutch history, just like you said, which means that students have to learn about Srebrenica. But what they are going to learn about Srebrenica? Future teachers don't get to learn about Srebrenica themselves. So how can they teach future generations about the last genocide in Europe if they have never learned themselves? Emia, you've been... I don't know, working on this field for a long time. You've been a journalist writing about it. Um, you're now running the Memorial Center, so focused on this. Do you ever wish that your life you know, wasn't just defined by this thing that happened and that, that you could work in some other sphere? I, I did uh, spend time doing other things. I've been lucky in the sense that um, I've had a, I've had a profession, uh, how can I say, I had a job that, that required me to, um, get up in the morning and go to work and, you know, feed my fat, put, put, put the, I was the breadwinner in the family. So I had to immediately after getting out of severance, I actually had to find a job. And I was lucky in this, in, in that it was journal, in, in, in journalism. Um, and no matter no matter um, how I felt about certain things, you know, Stephanie and I worked uh, closely, relatively closely together when I was in The Hague, and she knows, you know, I mean, I was out there on the on the gallery of that courtroom together with uh, all other journalists. I had to report on it. I had to file my articles. Uh, my editors didn't really care about how I felt about it. I had to do it for a foreign media outlet. So in that sense, you know, it's kind of been helpful to me that 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 I have I've been very lucky that uh, at the age of 21, I got into what was back then probably the best um, newspaper in Bosnia. It was a weekly called Dani. Um, but yeah, I I went, you know, I had completely different ideas about my life. I, you know, I would have 
much prefer to have spent the past 25 years of my life uh, hanging out with my childhood friends, um, going down to the Drina River Bank and swimming in the summer. Um, or, you know, I, I've, of course, you know, I've, um, I've wished so many times that my, that, that, that all of it had played out differently. Um, and that, you know, um, for the most part, this was not necessarily the first thing people think about, um, about me. Um, I have other qualifications. I have other, um, I have a, I have a, a character that's, you know, completely independent of, of what had happened in 92, between 92 and 95. Um, I have character flaws that, uh, and, uh, you know, that have nothing to do with that. Not, not everything comes out from PTSD, for goodness sake. You know, so, um, yeah, that's, that's uh, I, but to be honest, I've, you know, I've, I've tried for a very long time to get, get out from under, under this, this, this burden of being a victim. It's something that, it's a burden, to be honest. And, uh, I don't want to be seen as one. I've been, you know, striving not to be seen as one. I have. I see myself as a survivor. I see my friends as, as survivors first and foremost, um, because what we have um, survived is 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 actually important. I'll just say in case um, listeners notice, I think you've got some big building work going on uh, around you. I ho hope that the Memorial Centre is being expanded or something in case they hear the banging around. Believe it or not, believe it or not we actually have somewhere in the area of 1.5 million euros uh, worth of construction works going on as we speak. So, yeah, I'm very happy about it. I wanted to ask Alma, Emir talks about being very defined. In a way, I think you're relatively unknown uh, in if you say your name to Dutch people. You're maybe less defined by victimhood. Nobody knows uh, that this happened to you in Dutch society. How is that for you? I um, choose not to be known as a victim in the beginning. So when we came to the Netherlands, you know, I didn't want to be seen as a victim, just like uh, Amir said. So I worked very hard. I went to school, to university. Uh, you go to work, you try to pay your bills, and, and, and then you have this legal case against the Dutch uh, uh, state. Um, and I didn't talk a lot about Srebrenica outside uh, the court. Uh, I had one experience with a colleague. And it wasn't pleasant uh, because I tried to speak about Srebrenica. And that was 25 years ago, I think. So for years, I hide behind my professional life, you know, and my professional life and my personal life were separately uh, two different things. Just because I didn't want people to see me as a victim. And it took me 25 years to realize that I am not a victim, that I am a survivor, just like Emma said. And not talking about Srebrenica, you know, is weak. Uh, so I have to talk about Srebrenica because a lot of people died so that I could talk. So it was just last year that I uh, realized, okay, right now I'm going to publish this article on my LinkedIn uh, page because uh, before that you couldn't find nothing about Srebrenica on my professional page. 
I wanted to be a good educational expert and a good teacher and stuff like that, but I didn't want people to see me as Srebrenica victim. Alman and uh, Emir, thank you so much for exploring a variety of issues with us um, all uh, come to our mind because of the fact that this uh, film has come out, um, which I have not seen yet. So I'm planning to, to see uh, as soon as possible. Um, and we're all uh, holding our thumbs or whatever it is that you do in order to hope that it, it gets um, an Oscar for, for what it is. Um, to wrap up the podcast, we always ask a number of questions. And the first one to both of you is, is there anything that you wish that we'd asked you that you didn't get a chance to say? So um emir to start with every time i keep my mouth shut i do myself a favor so yeah you're, you're, you're fine and alma well i think we could talk about severance for three days but uh, this is the main okay and our final question um the one that we actually enjoy asking very much is uh what are you reading or listening to or watching at the moment that you'd like to share with us is what's on your bookshelf, what's in your Netflix queue, and it doesn't have to be at all justice related. What what you doing, Alma? Oh, when I read, it's usually about genocide. So right now I am reading Genocide and the Crisis of Yugoslavia, 1989-1995. It's from a Dutch author. And I just wanted to see how they look at this genocide because I read a lot about genocide in Bosnia from um, uh, English and American uh, authors, Bosnian authors, but never a Dutch author because I never, I couldn't find someone who really understand what was happening there. And this guy seems like he understands it. So uh, that's what I'm reading, and I'm watching Tiger Woods right now. <laughs> it's very interesting to see how somebody can uh, get so big, you know, and then do all those mistakes, <laughs> makes all those mistakes. Emir, what are you uh, doing besides singing The Wheels on the Bus or um, uh, Yezava Kucha reading? I'm no, trying to... No, 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 no. I'm asking that because uh, Emir has a new baby and I'm trying to dig in my brain because uh, uh, when I had my son, we moved to Serbia when he was four months old. So I have a lot of the kind of Yugoslav uh, childhood. Then, then in my you, are certainly, you are certainly familiar then with Jihad Jihad Chetri Negri. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. So that's it's, what I'm going through uh, now. Yes, and also there's a song that goes something like "We went to Africa to plant paprika," which yes. she, for, yeah, which she for some reason loves. And oh, God, I, Misha yeah. knows it inside and out. Uh, All there, right. There's, it's, it's. Uh, I will, I will play a clip. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's, that's what I'm listening to now. I'm reading, um, I'm, I'm sort of at the very start of a, of a research that's based on the intercepted telephone conversations between Milosevic, Karadzic, Krajsnik and, and Plavšić. Uh, and I sort of want to put those, I mean, the outcome of the research uh, should be for me to be able to put those conversations into historical context and to explain that um, 
there's this really cool theory about uh, by, by Daniele Conversi about the Serbian secession from the center. And I sort of want to test that proposition of secession from the center based on the conversations uh, that were recorded between the uh, leadership of Serbia and Bosnia Serbs uh, in 1991 and 1992 to show that there is also a lot of, you know, uh, talking about genocide and talking about Turks. And, you know, I'm, I'm at, the, at, at the start of it and, and conversations are really morbid sometimes because these guys thought they were talking privately. They didn't know they were being recorded. And, you know, there's a lot of conversations between Karadzic and Dobrica Čosic and uh, Serb poets and philosophers uh, uh, with Radovan Karadzic and, 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 and Milosevic is there as well. And I want to sort of try and fill this kind of gap that, that that exists when it comes to the to the Bosnian genocide. It's it's you know it's very interesting that a lot of people write about genocide in Bosnia and about genocide in Serbia, but no one ever. I mean, there's so few people actually go and and look at the documents. You know, there's this there's this misconception that that Bosnian Bosnia was Bosnian genocide was something that happened in a in, in, in you know in dark Bosnian woods that there's no record of it that. When, as Stephanie knows, this is probably one of one of, uh, uh, among the best documented uh, mass murders in history. I mean, these guys wrote everything. These guys wrote everything down to uh, logbooks for 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 bulldozers that went to to uh, dig mass graves. Um, so I want to try and address that as well. Um, and right now, once again, I'm doing I'm looking at the documents. I'll I'll be reading some historical stuff later on to try and sort of frame these conversations, uh, put them in their historical context. Eventually, I'm hoping to publish that and to publish a collection of these uh, conversations uh, like we did with the, the national, with the with the Bosnian Serb Assembly transcripts. I'm watching, um, what am I watching? I've started watching Breeders last night because, uh, you know, it corresponds to how I'm feeling right now. It's about a, a, a married couple with two kids under seven. So, yeah, that's that's how I'm feeling right now. I'm also watching, there's a great show that's completely been uh, pushed to the background by these nar- by this na- Narcos franchise. Uh, it's called Snowfall. It's about the social implications of, of the crack cocaine health crisis in the U.S. in the 70s. Um, and it's very, you know, it's like sort of the receiving end of these uh of these of the of the, of the narcos if there was a sort of a reverse story to narcos then this would be it and i'm also watching this really great show that's that's called uh, the the the, the snowpiercer it's like a sort of utopian dystopian sorry dystopian kind of thing that i you know anything that has to do with the end of the world i'm there i like it um you know, so. wow what a, an amazing range of uh, recommendations and amazing cast of characters that you're looking at emir and um you know so much stuff so rich and so many different suggestions there we'll put them all onto our web page we'll definitely put a link so what what uh alma briefly mentioned and emir as well is there's a whole project from the srebrenica memorial center about genocide denial and the transcripts of what bosnian serb officials actually said and it's really black and white and you can basically read it from day to day how this is planned out and this whole idea that it didn't just kind of appear 
in Mladic's brain on the 13th that, uh, hey, we have all these people, let's kill them. There's a whole organization and they documented everything and it's fascinating. So we'll definitely link to that. Okay, genocide nerds alert here. Um, fascinating stuff for us all to, all to look at. Thank you all so much for giving your time and for giving me for my pronunciation of your name. So um, thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank guys. you. Bye. Bye. This was Asymmetrical Haircuts, your international justice podcast hosted by me, Janet Anderson. And me, Stephanie van den Berg. You can find out all about the show and why we interview women experts on our website, asymmetricalhaircuts.com. Where you'll also find all the ways to subscribe and don't miss an episode. Do that. You can follow us on Twitter as well at asymmetricalh. This show was brought to you in partnership with justiceinfo.net. Music is by audionautics.com. Stay safe and enjoy your day.